0: If you'll turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. The Gospel of John, the first chapter. About uh, four weeks from now, December 7th, our church will, our choir and orchestra will uh, have what we call Christmas by candlelight. And there'll be two performances, and uh, the emphasis on it is come and see. And the emphasis of the Christmas presentation is to come and see the glorious works of God. And uh, as I was looking into the year and I saw that and I began to talk to Michael and I began to look in the scriptures and I said, why don't for the weeks leading up to that, let's do a series entitled, Come and See. And take the life of Jesus and look at the times where he talks about come and see. And so we embark on the first of those messages and it's found in the first chapter of John uh, to where we learn a little bit more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how he called his first followers. And if you follow with me in chapter 1, verse 35, it says here, The next day again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. Now earlier, John the Baptist had already baptized Jesus and uh, and now he's standing with his followers. John the Baptist had a lot of followers. Uh, he would go out in the wilderness. He'd preach about uh, forgiveness of sins and repentance and that they needed to repent. And uh, And was preaching that there was coming one that was greater than he. And there was someone that was coming that would be the Son of God. And so he's the forerunner to Jesus. And he's got these followers. And it says... That as he was standing with two of his disciples, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. He didn't say, hey, behold, this is a great miracle worker. He didn't say, hey, behold, uh, this is a great teacher. He said, behold, this is the Lamb of God. And what he was, again, telling his followers was that I am talking about sin and forgiveness and repentance. But he is the one who is coming, who will be able to take away your sin and to provide the forgiveness for that sin when you repent. He says he's the Lamb of God. And during that day, they understood that a Lamb of God, it would mean a sacrificial lamb. We just finished a a series on experiencing God, and we're talking about Moses and trying to get the children uh, out of Egypt and into Israel. And in order to get them out, there were a number of plagues. And the last plague was what was called the death of the firstborn. And God was going to bring a death angel. And as he would come over the land, he would take the life of the firstborn children, firstborn of livestock. Unless, and he talked to the Israelites, unless you take a lamb, you sacrifice that lamb, and you take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of your house. And when you go into your house that night, when the death angel comes, he will pass over your house and you will be saved. And it was the blood of the Lamb that saved you. And so there was going to be a coming Son of God who was going to die on a cross to be the blood of the Lamb for you and for me. And that as he went to the cross, he was going to take all of our sins and place them on himself, and then he was going to die for you. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead so that he could show that he was victorious over sin, victorious over death, and provide us the opportunity to be a part of God's family, and so He says, "Behold, this is the Lamb of God." And when He said that, and as Jesus was walking past, in verse thirty-seven, it says the two disciples heard Him say, say this, and they followed Jesus. So these guys—they're starting to go, and they're going to—they're going to follow Jesus. Now we're going to explain a little bit later, but we believe these two disciples were Andrew and John. Okay, so. They said they're going, they follow Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and he said to them, what are you seeking? So he's just walking along. These two guys say, hey, let's go follow him. So they're following him. (laughs) Then all of a sudden he turns around and he asks them the question. He says, what are you seeking? Some translations have, what do you want? It's a great question. It's a great question for all of us. And in this passage, with this come and see, I want us to get some insights from it. Let me tell you the very first insight. is That is all of us are seeking something in life. All of us are seeking something in life. And as Jesus turned and looked back to those two followers of John the Baptist, and he asked him this question, he says, What are you seeking? What are you wanting? It looked to be a pretty innocent question at first, but actually it was a lot deeper. What is it that you really want? And you see... For us, we need to face that question. What is it that you're really seeking? For some, it may be happiness. For some, it may be contentment. For some, you may say, I'm seeking peace. For some, I'm seeking a clear conscience, seeking forgiveness, seeking a meaningful relationship. I'm seeking security. I'm seeking satisfaction. What is it that you're really seeking? And as you seek that, and then you see a person by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, as you fo- begin to follow him, what is it that you want from him? What are you seeking? What is it that you really want? Do you want him to make all your ills well? Do you want him to make your finances good? Exactly what is it that you want from him? And so Jesus, being very perceptive, asked these two followers, what is it that you're seeking? What is it? But you know, it's a searching question that is asked, and we don't just answer the question once, but we answer it all throughout life. As we go through different stages of lives, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is it that I really want? What is it that I'm really seeking? You know, Jesus' followers had to ask that same question at different times of their life. When Jesus calls him and he gets his 12 disciples and he's got them with him, he says, okay, guys, you're going to be following me. And they say, yes. And then if you turn over a couple of pages in John chapter 6, Jesus did some great miracles, but then he had some tough teaching. And when he did this tough teaching, he came back. And in verse 66 of chapter 6, he says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? What do you want? What do you want? What are you seeking? This is your time. Everybody else is backing away. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk away? You know what they said? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We're staying with you. Well, they keep on traveling along in life, and they can travel along in life. You get to chapter 11 in the book of John, and uh, Jesus' good friend Lazarus is sick. Then all of a sudden they find out that he died. And so as soon as they found out he died, he waited and he said, okay, guys, let's go to Jerusalem. Somebody raised their hand and say, hey, do you realize that they're wanting to kill you in Jerusalem and it's pretty dangerous? I, I, don't, think, I don't think you really need to, uh, need to be going uh, over there. Then Jesus in verse 14 told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go with him. And Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Decision had to be made. It would have been real easy right there. What is it that you're seeking? Well, I'm sure not seeking going back to Jerusalem and put my life on the line. We'll just stay here. Thomas looked up at him. They all agreed with him. If we got to die, we'll die. Let's go with him. What are you seeking? And these two men came up behind him, these two followers of John the Baptist, and they asked him this question, and, and he asked them, he says, What are you seeking? What, what do you want? <laughs> and look at their response. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I thought that was an odd answer. If he turned around and asked you, he says, What are you seeking? What do you want? Where are you staying? There are a couple different ways of looking at that. And I've read some different commentaries. You know, the first one kind of reminds me of of a junior high guy and a girl. And um, it is, have you ever been caught off guard to where somebody asked you something and you weren't expecting it? And so you just threw something out. And then when it was over, you walked away and you said, why did I say that? It's like the junior high guy who's looking at this girl all the time, getting kind of nervous to ever talk to her, doesn't think she'll ever speak to him. He's at his locker over here, and he closes his locker. And there she is, the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. And she asks him a question. Uh, 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 and you throw out some answer. And then you all walk off, and you're going to class, and you go, what did that mean? That was so crazy. Part of me was thinking, that's what these guys are. Uh-oh, he knows we're following him. He just asked the question, what are you seeking? Uh, hey, where are you staying? are you staying? That's a good one, isn't it? Where are you staying? that 's has nothing to do with the question, right? Okay, that's part of it. But the deeper theologians gave a lot more credit to these two guys. And what they were saying is that when he says, what are you seeking? And they said, where are you staying? If you put it in today's vernacular, it would be more like if, uh, if we were walking out in the hallway and you caught me for just a moment and I said, what is it that you want? And you said... Uh, let me just tell you right now what it is. Or in this situation, you would say, have you got any time this week that I could get on your calendar? Because what I need to talk to you about is more than just a, hey, quick passing in the hall. I really need to talk to you a little bit more. Which means we really believe that when he says, what are you seeking? And they said, where are you staying? In essence, they're saying, have you got some time for us? This is not just a passing in the road, got one question for you. This is, I really want to talk to you. I want to spend some time with you. And with that, when you see that answer to that question, then all of a sudden, you see Jesus' response. And his response is the second point, and that is that Jesus is approachable because he says, Come and see. He's approachable come and see. He says in verse 39, come and you will see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. The 10th hour was four o'clock in the afternoon. Most people were getting off work about that time. And so they followed him to his home and most believe that he, they spent the night with him. And as they spent the night during that time, Jesus began to tell them things that were even deeper than they even imagined. What an amazing time these guys had. And so during that day, during that night, they began to be together to talk. And they got even more than they expected. Wow. They asked him, where do you stay? And he could have sat there and said, well, someplace you don't want to go. I don't have any time for you, whatever. You know what he said? Come and see. Where are you staying? I want you to come and see. Jesus is really approachable. You don't see him pushing people away. He says, hey, come and see. Come and see. I think there's something else we take from that come and see. And that is a valid response to someone sharing the gospel is not always them saying, yes I believe. Too often we feel like if I share the gospel, if I talk about Christ and then I ask them, do you want to ask Christ to come into your heart now? And they go, no. We feel that's that's just oh no that's just horrible no sometimes the best response is you just need to come and see you're not ready yet come and see for some people they say i really want to read the bible more man that's great you just come and see you're not there's nothing that's going to come up over here that we're going to have to apologize for you just come and see and for some people they may say well i'd like to read some other like apologetic books or something that's great more Than a Carpenter, or Josh McDowell, or Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, or one of the Gary Habermas books on resurrection or so. Come and see. You're, it's, it's an open invitation for you to come and see that. You see, that come and see is, is offered to everyone. And, and just as a, as a tagline to this, this should be a place at our church where it's very comfortable for people to come and see. Where if somebody wants to know something about the Christian faith, that you should be able to say, Hey, Sunday mornings, you need to come and see. We got a great Savior, we got a great church. We want you to come. Just come and see. Jesus is very approachable. And so Jesus, in him being approachable, asked them, You come and see. And so they came. But it's interesting. It says that, so they came and they saw, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, you know, 10th hour, and then what happens is the third, and this is our responsibility, and that is, after you have come and seen, you need to find others to invite to come and see. You got that? After you have come and seen, okay, I've come, I've seen, and you make a decision for Christ, and you are to then find others to invite them to come and see, and this goes throughout throughout this whole chapter. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. One of the two disciples. Remember there were two of them? One of them was Simon, uh, was Andrew. The other we believe is the Apostle John. And the reason we believe that is that he never mentions his name in the gospel. He always uses a different, like the, the one that Jesus loved and, and just stays away from bringing attention to himself. So many believe that's who it is. Um, it's not a test of your faith, but it seems like that would be the best on there. But the focus is on Andrew. And he says, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. First person he found was his brother. So what he did was he came and he saw. And after he came and saw, you know what? I'm going to invite some others, and and I'm going to and, and first person I'm going to look for is my brother. Preaching is good, but personal witness and friendship continues to be the primary means in which people are brought to Christ. Converts make new converts. They speak what they know about Jesus, and they bring other people along, so they too will come and see. And you begin to pick up a pattern in the very first chapter of John as to what we're supposed to be doing. We are to come and see what God has for us. And when we become born again, adopted into his family, we are then to go find others and bring them. And what they did was they brought people that they were close to. So the first thing he did, he found his brother Peter, who was also one of the disciples of John the Baptist. And he brings him over. And he says, we have found the Messiah. This is the one that we've been talking about. I've found him. I'm going to take you to him. So he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he says, So you are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I'm going to change your name. It's going to be Cephas. It's going to be a rock. So then you come to verse 43. And then the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and he said to him, Follow me. All right, so now, as Jesus is traveling with others, he's in this region of Galilee. Take the Sea of Galilee right here, all in this region. And he sees a guy named Philip. And he comes to Philip and he says, Philip, I want you to follow me. Philip, just an ordinary guy. But we learn a little bit about him. Look what it says here. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. These guys may have grown up together. If you could picture the Sea of Galilee like this, at the very top of it is where Bethsaida is. That's where they grew up. And then Peter and Andrew moved over to Capernaum over here. But these guys, they probably knew each other. Jesus finds Philip and he says, I want you to follow me. Okay? So what did Philip do? (laughs) Philip found Nathaniel, and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus finds Philip. Philip goes and finds his friend named Nathaniel, And he says, "Nathaniel, we have found him who the Scriptures have written about. So these guys knew the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. They knew those Scriptures. He'd read them. He says, you know the things you're talking about in the Old Testament? I have found him. And it is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That means he gave him the full formal name of Jesus. During that day, what you do, you give your name, where you came from, and who your father was. I am Danny Wood of Birmingham, son of Charlie. Yes. Or if you have to go to the airport and check your passport, I'm Charles McDaniel Wood Jr. of Birmingham, son of Charlie. And they said, <clears throat> this is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. This is, this is the guy. This is the guy that we have been talking about. This is the guy we've been, been, been uh, looking for. It says, I have found him. And he says, I need to bring you to him. Look at Nathaniel's response. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? First thing he hears, it's kind of a cynical guy, Nathaniel. He was that way growing up too. I don't know if y'all remember or not, but but he's just a cynical guy. And he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's a lot of thought, uh, discussion. What does that mean? What was he thinking? Well, some people believe is because he did know the Old Testament and Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. So when you sit there and tell me that this, somehow the guy who is the answer to all these Old Testament prophecies is from Nazareth, it just can't be. Can anything really good come out of Nazareth? Then there's some others who when they've looked at the history of Nazareth have realized that it's really a village of no count. I mean, nothing really good ever came out of Nazareth. They were kind of rough people. They were irreligious. A lot of folks weren't real crazy about folks from, from Nazareth. And then as they look further, they realize that Nazareth sits right here and Nathaniel's from Cana. They're right up over here. They're not too far from each other. And believe it or not, I read some commentary that said there could have been some competition between these two. So there could be some prejudice. Guys from Cana don't like the folks from Nazareth. And they got a big rivalry. You know, you look in the state of Alabama, you got the Iron Bowl, okay? Go to the state of Mississippi, you got the Egg Bowl. You go here to Israel, they got the Pottery Bowl. (laughs) And in that Pottery Bowl, Cana versus Nazareth, oh, they just hate them in there. They wouldn't wear their colors. They didn't like their mascots. It was crazy on there. And so they just didn't like them. And so there could be a prejudicial element there which is, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So he could either look at it from a religious standpoint or it could just be a flat-out prejudice standpoint of saying, you know, I've never seen anything good come out of Nazareth so could anything happen out of Nazareth? So how do you answer that? Do you get in an argument with him? Do you begin to debate with him? Nah, it's kind of interesting. Look what Philip said. Philip said to him, come and see. <laughs> Somebody else said that not too long ago. That's so what Jesus told these first two followers. Philip been hanging out with Jesus. And this guy's got all these questions and stuff. And you know what Philip said? Hey, come and see. If Philip was standing right here with us, he'd say, I don't have all the answers. I'm not sure, but I believe I've met the Messiah over here. And you know all you need to do is just kind of come and see. Come and see. Here are going to be people that you're going to be talking to. If you're going to talk to them about the Lord and they're going to ask you some things that you don't know and things and you may just need to say, hey, come and see. Just, just come to church with me if you want to or come to a Bible study with me. Uh, just take the New Testament and just begin to read through it and come and see. See who he is. And so Philip gives him that, that same introduction and he says, hey, just, just come and see. And so in verse 47... Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, Nathanael has not met Jesus ever. And the very first thing that Jesus says as he's walking up and he's probably sticking his hand out to shake his hand is, Hey, now here's a guy who's an honest man. And there's no guile and there's no deceit in him. Well, it kind of made you feel good, but he asked this question. He says, how do you know me? How do you know me? How can you say that? And then Jesus answered, you know, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This is one of those moments that you're just kind of blown away. Uh, Because what he is saying is, you remember when Philip went to see you? I saw you even before he saw you. And I remember you were there under the fig tree over there. Now something apparently had taken place under the fig tree that was strong in Nathaniel's mind. Some people are saying maybe it was a time of where he was meditating on on the Old Testament scriptures and having a a devotional moment or so with God because a lot of times that's where people would go to be under a shade tree like that and and take that time. But whatever it was, something happened right under that fig tree and when it did, look at his, his first response. Then he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Well, so much for the you're from Nazareth problem, isn't it? He doesn't have any problem now that he's from Nazareth. He says, how did you know that? And he didn't do one of those. Okay, all right. You got one of those little flyover things, little GoPro things. What what is it? How did you know? No. As soon as he said it, boom, it hit him. And he said, man, you are the Son of God. You are the Son of God. Now, The interesting things here is that Jesus meets us as individuals. And this is what we need to understand. You just take a look at these few things of where we've got, hey, come and see, come and see, and all along the way, you see that God meets us just as individuals. He did something different with each one of those guys. Okay, we've got Andrew and John. They're back over here, and they're walking with him, and Jesus asked them a deep, thoughtful question What are you seeking? What are you wanting in life? And these guys had to stop and they say, you know what? This isn't just a passing on the road comment. We need to really sit and talk to you about this. I need to get down a little bit deeper on some things. And he says, okay, so I'll, I'll talk to you. Then he goes to Philip. I'm Peter. They bring Peter to him. Peter is this, he's got leadership qualities all over him. But he's rough. And when Jesus looked at Peter, the very first thing he said to him was, "You've got some strong character traits and you. you've got some strong leadership traits in you. I tell you what, I'm not going to be calling you Simon over here. I'm going to call you Cephas, Peter. It means a rock." All of a sudden, he knew right where he was. He knew he had that leadership ability. But now all of a sudden Jesus has recognized that, and we're going to take some years and we're going to fine-tune that over here. Philip, you don't know a lot about Philip. But many people believe Philip is sort of a reluctant type. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, when uh, Jesus uh, looked in, he said, hey, we got all these people over here, how are we going to feed them? Philip comes up to him and says, hey, I don't know how we're going to do this, don't have enough money, we can't, uh, I don't know how we're going to, he's just asking questions over here. And Jesus asked him, Philip, how are you going to do it? Well, I don't, know. I don't really know how we're going to do that. And then at the um, Last Supper, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except by me. Philip, the sister, said, Hey, if you could just show us the Father, then everything would, would be good. And then Jesus looks at him and says, What have I been doing for three years? It's just a little bit of reluctance. Well, in this scripture, guess who took the initiative? Jesus did. He found Philip, he says, Follow me. To be someone who's sort of reluctant, that's what he needed. And he says, okay, I'll come. I'll follow you. If you're reluctant to seek him, you just need to know that God's loving initiative is already coming out there to seek you. And the last person he saw was Nathaniel. He's cynical. And what did Jesus do? He did something supernatural, just cut right through that cynic part of him. And all of a sudden he says, you are the son of God. Jesus did different things with different people. And that's because he meets us as individuals. And that's why everybody's testimony is not the same. A lot of testimonies can have some similarities, but we're not all the same because Jesus meets us as individuals. And there are some people that will, that will sit down in a presentation and someone will open up a Bible and talk to them about salvation. And they will say, this is what I want. They'll pray and they'll receive Christ. There will be others... They'll do that as a child. There'll be others that will wait to their teenage years. There'll be some that have just been foreign and they get to college and all of a sudden they get hit in the face with the gospel and make a decision. There'll be others that will be taught about this as a child. They won't make a decision as a child, as a teenager. They wait until they're getting married. And then all of a sudden they have that first child. And there's something about that first child being born. And they see that new life. And it's just like God gets a hold of their heart and says, you know how much you love that baby? That is how much I love you. And you know how much you would protect this baby? And you would want to give that baby's life up for anybody else. I took my son and gave his life for you. And all of a sudden, all the gospel makes sense. And then they say, I'm ready to do business with God. And then there's some that will even get into their senior adult years. To where sometimes it is almost weeks before God calls them home. And a stone heart that's been, been adverse to God all of a sudden begins to soften. And in those moments... They make that decision for Christ. For some it's through a track. For some it's through a preacher. From some it's through a friend. From some it's watching uh, on television and watching someone preach on there. There's all different ways it can happen. But you need to understand it's the same Lord and the same God. And he meets you as an individual. So when you hear someone's testimony and you say, well, that's just not me. God's not wringing his hand saying, well, how in the world do I reach you? He knows exactly how to reach you. He meets us as individuals. And that's what he did with each one of these followers. Everything was a little bit different with each one of these. Let me tell you the last thing is this. Come and see is the gateway to even greater things. Come and see is the gateway to even greater things. You know, in Nathaniel annual said, well, you are the Son of God. And in verse 50, Jesus answered him and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That goes back to the Old Testament, Jacob's dream, Jacob's ladder. Where he's dreaming, and he has this dream, and he and he looks up this vision of of where there's this this ladder, and the angels of God are going up and down this ladder, and it's a it's like a, a picture of, of Christ as our bridge, our ladder to the Father. And uh, he says that uh, you're going to see greater things than these. And I always smile when I read things, when, uh, like when, when Jesus cursed the fig tree and all the disciples went, Whoa, well, that's really something. And you know, Jesus is sitting there saying, This is so small potatoes, okay? This is nothing. And, and this is like some, some mind thing that he says, I saw you under the fig tree over here. And he is just blown away. Nathaniel is blown away i got to be honest with you, that would pretty well shake me up too. That would really impressed me. But what Jesus says, oh no, if you think this is good, wait. Well, do you see what's going to happen these next three years? You're going to see the lame walk. You're going to see the blind have their eyes open. You're going to have those that are mute are going to be able to speak. Those that are deaf are going to be able to hear. Those who have leprosy, their skin will be totally healed. You're going to see people's lives that were broken and destroyed all of a sudden will become whole again. You will see the dead raised, and yes, you'll even see me as the son of God raised from the dead, and you'll see me ascend to heaven, and you're going to, for three years, you're going to walk with the son of God, and to listen, and to talk, and to hear his heart. Yeah, this thing about, hey, I saw what you did earlier before Philip got with you, this is nothing. This is just... Kind of this come and see is the gateway to even greater things. And I'm telling you folks, God wants to do so many great things through us individually and as a church. And it all starts with the come and see. If you as an individual, if you've never made that decision to receive Christ, it is taking that step towards come and see. If you're not a believer and you're here today, you've already taken the first step. You say, hey, I'm coming and I'm seeing. And that is so good. And Jesus is asking. That's his invitation. You just come and see. Come and see me. Come and learn about me. And as God does that, as you do that, and then God's spirit begins to talk to you and work with you, he will be drawing you to himself. But then once we make that decision, then that's just the gateway of things being wide open. And God says, I want to use your life to do some incredible things to advance my kingdom. We talked about this for eight weeks in experiencing God. That all got up to the very last thing. To where it is to do something for God. To accomplish his work. To, to advance his kingdom. That's when you experience God. And God's wanting to do that. He's wanting to do it through each of our lives. I think if Philip could be here today. And we could just bring him back. And we say, Philip. You were there for three years with Jesus. Kind of give me a top ten list of the most meaningful things that happened. I don't really think this will even be in the top ten. Because so many things far greater took place on that. So here's your challenge. Come and see. If you've never seen him, I encourage you to come and see. If as a believer you have said, Hey, I've come, I've seen, I believe, I'm there with Christ, I'm a I'm a part I'm a part of uh, part of God's family. I want you to just see that as this gateway, of that God is saying, "Give me all of your life, and I want to use you to do some greater things." Because I don't want the greatest thing from your testimony to always be something that happened years and years and years ago. I want there to be some fresh words from fresh ways that God has used you every day. Okay. I want to ask you to stand for just a moment. And as you stand, I want to close us in a word of prayer and lead us to a time of where we respond within our hearts. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gospel. And I thank you for your Son. And that Jesus is so approachable and that he just tells us to come and see. And Father, it is our prayer that in these moments that um, you will speak so much to our heart and to affirm and to remind us that you ask us to come and see. Lord, I bet there are some people here today who really have gotten some hardened hearts. Some things have happened in life that have caused them to even question your love and question who you are. Lord, may they be reminded of the John of John 1, who is approachable, that still says come and see. And may those defenses be broken down. And may hardened hearts be turned soft again to you. Father, let us take that challenge of the come and see. And let us follow you and to be used by you to advance your kingdom.